0: Do you ever feel something, but you're not sure what you're feeling? Or you want to express something, but you can't find the words? Or you want to give voice to some emotion, but you don't know how? Well, the book of Psalms, Israel's ancient prayer book, fills that space. Over the coming week, we're going to look at four Psalms, which will help us to understand the book as a whole and help us to use it in our life of faith and prayer. And today we're going to start with a broad perspective and then gradually zoom in. So we'll start by looking at the book in general. uh, Then we'll consider the introduction, Psalms 1 and 2. And finally, uh, we'll look more specifically at Psalm 1. When you read the Psalms, which is really a compilation of poems, songs and prayers from all of the stages of Israel's history, you'll notice that there are five sections and uh, they're very clearly marked in your Bible. So it begins with book one and then book two, book three, book four, book five. Uh, The whole collection begins with an introduction, Psalms one and two, and it ends with a conclusion, the last five Psalms or the hallelujah Psalms, the praise Psalms. So there's a really clear structure and we'll come back to the structure of it later on. Now, a lot of people would say that there's generally two kinds of psalms, psalms of lament and psalms of praise. In other words, psalms that express sorrow for all that is wrong with the world and psalms that praise God for his goodness, for his care and protection, for his faithfulness and so on. And generally speaking, you can divide the psalms that way. And if you read them from beginning to end, you start to see a pattern emerging as the psalms of lament give way to psalms of praise, culminating in the last five Psalms, which are nothing but praise. Um, But there's a theologian called Walter Brueggemann who suggests that there are three distinct categories. And I think this is quite helpful. He says that there are Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of new orientation. And this fits with the overarching narrative of the Bible, the big picture. And very often it seems to relate to the narrative of our lives. Let me explain how. Firstly, the Bible. The Bible begins with the creation of a perfect world and human beings who have a very close relationship with God. They walk with God. They talk with God. They are obedient to God. So the Bible begins with a narrative that orientates us to the way things ought to be. Genesis 1 and 2 reveal God's creative intent, that is to say the way God wanted things to be when he created everything in the first place. This is a narrative of orientation. Uh, When we know the way things should be, we can compare them to the way things are, and we can draw conclusions from that. So after orientation, we have disorientation something went wrong Uh, everything got turned on its head humankind rebelled sin and death entered into creation and a whole series of cataclysmic events followed Uh, and the whole story of the bible after that initial fall uh, is a story of disorientation right up until Jesus and with Jesus there comes new orientation. We see a new hope of reconciliation with God. We see a way to get back to this place of intimacy with God. We have the promise of a new heaven, a new earth, and a new humanity, a people who will live in close communion with God forever. And as Christians, we understand that this has already begun, and we're part of it. So the overarching narrative of the Bible is creation, creation spoiled and new creation or orientation disorientation new orientation and as christians our lives are bound to this narrative but i think we also see it as a recurring pattern in our day-to-day lives orientation we have a clear idea of how things are supposed to be we know what god wants for us we know what god wants from us we hold fast God's promises it's our relationship with God through Jesus that allows us to orientate ourselves in the world now we know that Jesus's kingdom has come but it's not yet fully here the world is not yet perfect and neither are we and so we will experience times of disorientation times when we wonder why God has allowed us to make such a mess of things Uh, when we wonder why we keep failing in the same way When, when we question why god has allowed certain things to happen to us or to others when we can't understand what god is doing uh, times when god just seems completely absent those are times of disorientation but if we continue to put our faith in jesus he will bring us through he'll bring us through to a time of new orientation when the world makes sense once again and we can continue to offer god our heartfelt praise. And obedience. So we have orientation, disorientation, new orientation. Uh, the book of Psalms contains Psalms that fit all three categories but it begins with orientation and it ends with new orientation and you've got a mix of everything in between. And the Psalms are so helpful to us I think for two reasons. Firstly they give voice to feelings and emotions that we often struggle to express. They allow us to pour out our hearts to God. And whatever we're feeling, feeling, there's a psalm to express it, whether we're full of joy and praise or fearful or feeling abandoned by God, it's all there. The psalms help us to relate to God openly and honestly. We didn't try to hide anything from God. God knows exactly what is going on in our hearts, and we should find ways to express that to God. Secondly, they offer us tremendous hope because they show us that beyond disorientation is new orientation. On Easter Sunday, our theme was trajectory to victory. And the Psalms show us what that trajectory can look like. But remember, when we read the Psalms, it's almost like eavesdropping on ancient prayers. David wrote nearly half of them, but a big chunk chunk were written by uh, other authors and uh, nearly a third of them are anonymous. And the authors didn't hold back. They laid their feelings and emotions bare before God. And so as you might imagine, not everything we read in the Psalms is good, wholesome, right, and pure. And you'll be able to spot it. If you read something like happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks, you know, okay, that's not a very good way to be feeling, but it's raw and honest. As I said, Uh, you get the full spectrum of human emotions in the Psalms. And that's what what makes them so relatable, not necessarily that last example, but in general. So we've looked at the structure of the Psalms. But what is the book about specifically? Well, for that, we need to turn to Psalms one and two. We've seen that the Psalms are divided into five books. And as you know, Uh, the first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah, the law of God. And so the Psalms are presented as a new Torah that will teach God's people to pray as they seek to obey God's commands given in the first Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Psalm 1 contrasts two modes of being obedience and disobedience. And we'll come to that in a moment. But Psalm 2 speaks of a messianic king who will establish God's kingdom over the earth forever and defeat the evil rebellious nations that have conspired against God. So the Psalms are meant to lead God's people in prayer as they strive to live in obedience to God's law whilst hoping and waiting for the future messianic king. But the conclusion to the whole book is praise. The last five psalms are pure praise. And what this tells us is that the true vocation of God's people is not so much obedience to the law as adoration. Adoration is what we are made for. It's why we've been created. And it is adoration that will finally lead us to obedience. So that's a broad brush outline of how the psalms are structured, what they're about, and how we can use them. Let's now turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a psalm of orientation, and it begins with the words, blessed is the one, or uh, sometimes it's translated, happy are those. Now, if you were to ask the average person on the street, what do you want out of life? More often than not, you'd hear, to be happy. And if you ask, what would it take to make you happy? You'd get all kinds of answers. If I lived in such and such a place or I had such and such a job or if I was fabulously rich, then I wouldn't have any worries at all. I'd be happy then. Or if only I could marry that person or if only I didn't marry that person. You'd get all kinds of answers. But happiness is never found by direct pursuit. If you pursue happiness as an end in itself, you might as well be chasing the wind. It will always elude you. Happiness is a byproduct of another pursuit. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And Psalm 1, this psalm of orientation, presents us with a very clear choice. Seek God, in this case, through his word, through uh, his law. But we know that the ultimate conclusion of the psalms is to come close to God through adoration. Seek God or choose some other path. First word of Psalm 1 is blessed, blessed. And the last word is destruction. Uh, If you look at a different translation, the first word is happy and the last word is perish. It's a stark contrast, a stark choice. It has echoes of Deuteronomy. Just before Israel uh, took possession of the promised land, God said this to his people. He said, I've set before you life and death blessings and curses now choose life ultimately there are only two directions that we can go in life we can move towards God or we can move away from God in our modern pluralistic culture we like to think that there are so many ways that we can live our lives so many choices but fundamentally there is only one choice either we lead a life that is orientated towards God or we don't. And the psalmist defines a life that is orientated towards God. Firstly in the negative, verse one, it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Notice the progression here. This person goes from walking in step with the wicked, to standing in the way that sinners take, to sitting in the company of Of mockers. He goes from walking to standing to sitting as if he becomes increasingly comfortable in his waywardness. Sitting somehow seems more permanent, doesn't it? And this rings true because those who turn away from God often become more entrenched in their godless mindset over the course of their lives. Uh, But we shouldn't define godliness or define ourselves by what we don't do. Well, I've never murdered anyone. Yeah, but what have you done that was life-giving? Well, I've never cheated on my spouse. Yeah, but how did you love your spouse? I've never taken anything that didn't belong to me. Okay, but what is it that you gave? What are we aiming for in life? What do we aspire to? Surely not a long list of things that we didn't do. And then positively, the psalmist says in verse two, but those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. The most important thing for the psalmist is meditating on the law of God. And the person who meditates on the psalms, this new Torah, will be led to a point of praise, worship and adoration, which is our true calling. So that is a choice. We seek the Lord or we don't. And the implications of that choice are Presented with equal starkness, blessings or destruction. The person who seeks the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. In other words, they are spiritually nourished. Their life will be fruitful. They'll do things that will serve to build God's kingdom. They will endure, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that gets blown away with the wind and the final verse verse six tells us that justice will be done for the lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction